like a word. About new Northern Ireland crime fiction. You're listening to Weed Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. And we're joined by two writers from Northern Ireland, James Murphy and Simon Maltman. Hello to you both. Hi, guys. Evening. How are you doing? James is the author of the Terror Trilogy. That's The Rise of Terror, The Terror Within, and Dark Light. He also teaches. He's involved with the Northern Ireland Festival of Writing. He's a podcaster as well, and we want to talk about that for a particular reason later. And he has a photograph on his website, which looks a little bit like he's in a jungle ambush in Vietnam or something like that. <laughs> and, I'm having uh, fun while doing so. <laughs> yeah. And then Simon Maltman, a musician who's written loads of books. The Mark, which I have in my hand. The Mark. Oh, uh, <laughs> the Sidewinder, Bongo Fury, A Kill for the Poet, A Chaser on the Rocks. And your latest book is Witness. And you also have a crazy story in Underneath the Tree, the compilation of Northern <laughs> oh, Ireland yes. writers for the Simon community and saving the owls, raising money for that. And also you do Northern Ireland crime fiction and TV and film tours. Oh, that's a very impressive lineup. You can't have a series of books called the Terror Trilogy where book one's got the word terror, book two's got the word terror, and the third <laughs> book's got the word dark. <laughs> that was deliberate. That's a fair point. <laughs> Very much deliberate. <laughs> How does that work? But, well, actually, it does have the word terror on the cover, so we're okay. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> and no, also, we were going for the tagline on the third one. I, I thought it's a very audacious thing as well, James that the baddie is called Terror. That's his name. Yes, well, he's an alter ego of uh, a journalist, a a local journalist who has ideas of wanting to be a famed serial killer. So he's kind of studied serial killers all his life, but he also has a little bit of a a daddy complex, if you like, of trying to impress his dad. So he wants to be the most recognised serial killer and therefore has to be suitably named. (laughs) <laughs> there's another reason behind the name but that comes in the, in the last book and I don't want to give anything away on that but it becomes more more suitable let's just say towards the end well it's better than him being called Barry Murderer isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Peter Terrorist I quite like Barry Murderer <laughs> I could be a, Barry Murderer that could be the next sequel now James <laughs> I was going to say that book four ruined now yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. the murderer quadrilogy. Yeah, I know. The only real person called Terror there was a South African political figure called Terror Lakota, and of course the famous comedy actor Terry Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all going to be this bad, I promise you. <laughs> well, I, I wonder should we kick off with a bit of a reading so people, because people in Northern Ireland will know you, but people elsewhere may not. Simon, what about you? Yeah, sure. Yeah. A couple of pages from the latest one. This is from Witness. Yes, that, that's right. It, it was um, just right at the tail end of last year. I had the interesting situation where um, just where I worked out, I launched two novels last year, and one was in the first lockdown, and the, the second was in the second lockdown. So um, 
I, I don't have a third book for this lockdown, unfortunately. I mustn't have been writing quick enough. <laughs> You're not closing oh. the lockdowns. Just check you. <laughs> um, well, the, you, you know, it's part, part of the publicity stunt, really, just kind of trying to set that whole thing off, you know? If he announces a fourth novel, I'll, I'll just start locking down straight away. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, just well, imagining well, you have a character called Lockdown to match James's terrorism. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, like, yeah, that well-known double act, Murderer and Lockdown. Yeah, well-known double act. Cherry Lockdown. <laughs> Give us a bit of the context of Witness. It's uh, my uh, sixth book, again, I think, and I've always kind of skirted around the whole troubles thing. And I think most most writers these days in Northern Ireland would do tend to sort of think trying to avoid the troubles as much as possible. But it's always there in the background. It's always going to be a bit of an elephant in the room. So this is probably a bit of a post troubles book dealing with characters who were around in the troubles. Some of them are older and were in sort of paramilitary circles and things. Uh, some of them were a bit younger. And it features on a pastor called Pastor Tom, who was um, in Pastor the teens Tom. In the so Pastor, Pastor Tom, Tom, he's like an evangelical minister. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a slight kind of sect, really, uh, which is sort of blossoming in East Belfast. I had to be very careful, actually, because every time I tried to look for a name for a kind of semi-Christian cult, every name you could think of has been taken. <laughs> there, there, there were many rewrites to make sure it didn't offend anybody. <laughs> so he, he's trying to turn his life around. He was involved a little bit dabbling in the past, but more his sort of uh, godfather. Not, not the godfather, but his actual godfather. Uh, was involved in, in paramilitary circles and he comes to a place in his life where particularly where the money is needed for the church and he's trying to do the right thing and um, but he needs to sort of go back and speak to these people again and he actually needs to borrow money and it, it's all set on a week and it's just gradually everything kind of goes pretty pretty pear-shaped I just wanted to see how much you could push a character he's he you would hope is still likable or maybe could be redeemed and see how far you can push him, particularly if he thinks he's always doing the right thing, but actually he could end up doing some pretty pretty terrible things. Let's hear about some of what bad yeah, Pastor Tom has been up to. Yeah, the, the, there's a kind of simultaneous story through the book um, where you're not quite sure what's going on. Um, and, and this is just the start of that. This is the first page. The black Audi rolled noiselessly to a stop. Silence. The road outside the car was quiet and still, as if standing poised, without knowing just what for. The surrounding countryside appeared bereft of wildlife. Perhaps it was too cold even for the foxes and vermin. On this part of the creek Antlet hills, there were no streetlights and the winter's evening was already solid black. It surely was bitterly cold, for the moon was hiding too. The driver had switched the engine and lights off further up the hill and the car had rolled lazily to a halt a few metres up from the house. It was now parked next to an old farm stone wall consisting of jagged rocks placed one upon another. On the ground, a puddle lay in a pothole beside the front tyres. A residue of oil had left a pattern like a dirty rainbow inside of it. There was at last a sound as the wind roared down the hill and tried squeezing its way through the edges of the car windows. It hit the car like a breaking ocean wave. Either side of the property and across the other side of the road were empty fields. The wind could sweep back and forth whenever and wherever it pleased. It ripped the poster from an electric pole the election earlier in the week and blew it along the road. So that's just a wee bit, sort of just sets the scene um, for that wee part. And then there's a, uh, I'll let you into a secret. There's a, there's a couple of bad guys in the car and they're going to get up to no good. <laughs> so what, what do you draw on to write, to come up with this? Do you have personal um, experience of guys like Pastor Tom? Yes, I suppose to, to a certain degree, yeah. I mean, I, I do think Northern Ireland is quite a unique place that we do have this. I think it's a very specific type of Christianity here and often evangelical Christianity and it's even very different from the South and, and then different parts of the UK and it, it can be a breeding ground for all sorts of kind of meeting houses and, and sometimes they've got very 
staunch views on this and that and and quite different from maybe some mainstream Christianity. So that that did sort of set me off on, on that idea. The criminal element, no, I, I don't have personal experience of, <laughs> but I, I've always been a massive crime fiction fan and um, I suppose it was always going to be crime that it would end up writing, really. Does that ring true to you, James, that sort of picture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Simon has, um, has set the scene there perfectly on that, particularly on, obviously, kind of life in, in Northern Ireland, particularly in certain areas. What he's saying about the the kind of church and the and the idea of a sect also kind of rings true to me as well because um I actually I worked as a, a head teacher for a school for eleven years and that school was catered for a particular religious group um who often found themselves having to defend the idea that they were a sect um so it's certainly something that um has possibly filtered into my thoughts my own writing as well. What school was that? Um, can't name it for legal reasons at the moment, so sorry. <laughs> I hope you have that, 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 that disclaimer handy. I don't want any burning cross <laughs> on the front lawn or anything, you know. <laughs> I gotta say, as as the as the sort of only Englishman and sort of slightly tokenish Irishman here, in the fact that <laughs> I've got an Irish surname and my grandfather was from Belfast, it's very strange looking across the water at. Northern Ireland and just how sectarian it was because I mean yeah as you know over on this side of the pond you know I think things are fairly laid back religion wise all right we there's been a bit yeah. of tension between Christianity and other religions but within Christianity itself you know it hasn't erupted into violence for a few hundred years and yeah. you know from our side of the fence looking over and seeing things like you know even football teams being segregated by, you know, which particular branch of Christianity they chose to follow. It's very alien to us. It's very alien. Yeah. So I, I can understand why perhaps people have, I mean, quite quite apart from the fact that the troubles were so dis- distressing and disturbing for people who live through them, I can understand why maybe people don't incorporate it too much into novels because it's c- kind of hard to understand yeah. outside of that environment. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's even hard for people like I said, who even from down south, like a good friend of mine from Sligo, and he's been living here about 15, 20 years, but he still finds it strange. And he was struck when he first came up, and his dad was actually a minister, but he was still struck up here, like, why are you all so uptight and so like heavily religious? You know, but in a different, different sort of strict, staunch way. Sligo is right next door. Sligo is right next door. It's not like they're yeah. right down the far south. I mean, they are right next door to you. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose even the, our younger generations have come and, coming through now. I mean, I have a daughter who's eight years old and I'm trying to explain the reasons why we do some stuff the way we do. It's completely <laughs> alien to her. Yeah. Uh, and, and rightly so, I have to say. Like, mm. like, for instance? I suppose Simon and I, and well, actually all of us, I suppose, are of that kind of second generation. What, what, what they talk about in Northern Ireland is, is second generation PTSD. So... <laughs> You know, we, we're still very much the generation where if someone knocks the door late at night, you're kind of, you know, there's you're on high alert kind of thing. Or if you yeah, see yeah. a strange car in the area. So, you know, when you're kind of looking out the window and t- telling your daughter to stay away from the window and that kind of stuff, she's, she's like, why? And you're thinking, just do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and things like that. It's because that was kind of bred into us, certainly where I grew up. I mean, I grew up in, in the heart of West Belfast, just kind of off the Falls Road, you know, so that kind of became normalised for me. Where we live now and, and the, the, the type of upbringing my daughter is having, it couldn't be further removed from that. 
but mm. obviously, you know, take the boy out of the falls, but not the falls out of the boy kind of thing. <laughs> now, the two interesting parallels here. I mean, I've got I've got a, a very good friend who is German, and his grandfather, of course, fought in the war, and uh, and he says his father almost was ashamed of his own father but now they're in the sort of third fourth generation of that there's, there's still that a little bit of sense of national shame but it but it's fading now and and they all it's almost like they want to forget it you know no yeah. one wants to write no one wants to write about the war from the german perspective at all i mean yeah, you'll that, rarely that, that, find german novels you'll rarely find german novels written set during the second world war and the, the other similarity is i did some work a few years ago with the south african police and it was not long after apartheid had been abolished, nor is it. And they honestly didn't know what to do with themselves because their, their sole role for years, for decades, had been to enforce apartheid. Now they had to actually investigate things and treat everyone as equals. And they were lost, absolutely <laughs> lost. But again, the next generation after that, they're kind of ashamed of it. They really are. The current yeah. generation of South African police officers, they, they refuse to talk about that era that was in the past that was them it wasn't us it, it's yeah. a strange it's a strange thing and i think you guys are probably in that same obviously completely different reasons but you're <laughs> in that same sort of two generations removed and so now you know it's 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 interesting to see that like you were saying just now simon about the fact that you've, you've almost tiptoed around the troubles up until now yeah yeah definitely and i think when you speak to you know any local writers or when we're doing panels and talking about this sort of thing Everybody was kind of the same because everybody was more like in their teens or whatever, sort of before the Good, Good Friday Agreement. Nobody wanted, everybody was like, I'm not running about the troubles. I'm not doing the troubles, but it does end up people in everybody's books. Well, there's some people who do, like Adrian McKinty, his series set in the 1980s. Yeah, I, I suppose that's a bit, of an, yeah, it's, it's a bit of an anomaly, although I suppose because it's set, well, it's, yeah, because it's set in the troubles, wasn't set in the, in the 80s. But, but I suppose most other people purposely chose not to, you know, to a large degree, Brand doesn't Brand McGilloway and Stuart Neville and Jared Brennan. They wouldn't really so much, but then it, it does definitely creep creep in. You mentioned Jared Brennan. I'm reading this at the minute. Shocked. Oh yeah, I, I, I just finished. It. It's very good. I'm 209. I think. I mean, it's very good. But getting back to you two, how rude! But, but, how but, rude but, of but, me. But, but I think I think it's true though um, that that's why there wasn't a lot of crime fiction written during the Troubles from here because the whole point of crime really is and why everybody loves true crime dramas these days, particularly in lockdown, you can sort of have that comfort of being in your home and watching these horrible things happen thinking, at least I'm not there. Yeah, and, not you know, you can have that safety and you can enjoy the thrill, just like when you go on a scary ride, you can enjoy the thrill. But I think whenever there was literally bombs going off, even where I was in, in, in quiet old Bangor, there was still a couple of bombs going off and things, you know, it was too close that people didn't want to write about it. And the only sort of book you did get was rather unkindly referred to as Troubles Trash, because usually they were written in other parts of the world and would set stuff here and get all the all the allegiances and things terribly wrong. <laughs> oh, I thought of another exception, a good one. Morris Leach, his book Silver oh, yes. City. Silver uh, City, yeah, that, 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 that definitely is an exception. And, 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 and he's still going. Yeah, I, I bumped into him a couple of years ago in the yeah. Camden Irish Centre, and I was really pleasantly, I was going to say surprised, that sounds a very tactless way of putting it, but it was, it was, it was wonderful meeting yeah. him. And he actually came to speak to my English class when I was at school, but my, my first ever experience of, of meeting a real life writer, because it didn't seem like you know, these sort of people existed really in Northern Ireland, I think, and it was like, this is, this is a real one. <laughs> 
another theme I wonder when you were talking about a pastor, it reminds me there was a James Nesmith, Liam Neeson television show. I think it was called oh, yeah. a, a drama, like Five Minutes of Heaven some, or My Five yeah. Minutes of Heaven, something like that. Yeah. And, and it was centered around, well, he happened to be a loyalist paramilitary who'd killed. So Liam Neeson was the reformed paramilitary who'd murdered yeah. the brother of the other character. And they were going to meet up in a television show and, you know, reconciliation, putting stuff behind you and all that sort of thing. But it seems that it's something in Northern Ireland people like to say, I've, I've been born again. I've moved on. Therefore, all my sins are forgiven. You can't hold me to account for anything I did before, <laughs> yeah. even if I don't renounce the ideology that led me to do it. It seems quite a handy way <laughs> yeah. to, to wipe your own slate clean. Is that something that is reflected in any of the two of you you're writing at all? In the, in the new one in the sense that it, it is a pastor and to a certain degree he does think that he, he does think God's guiding him all the time so he must be doing the right thing and because he, he sort of looks at things in more of a deontological way you know sort of like the well it would be the answer by the means but not so much worrying about how you get there he's sort of thinking I will do whatever I want really in a kind of bit of an arrogant way but he doesn't really recognize it in himself but there can be that that I'll just do it come hell or high water because I think it's the right thing and no matter how I get there you're listening to Weed Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. And we're talking to James Murphy and Simon Maltman about New Northern Ireland crime fiction. This is coming up to the end of part one. In part two, we're going to be hearing from James's writing. And we're going to be hearing about free money for writers. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All will be explained.